Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Practice Odyssey. I'm Alex. Oh, sorry, and I'm Jen. <laughs> <laughs> and we're this off to a great start well. this morning. Um, and as you can tell, listeners, we are we 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 are back, and we are ready for another fun episode where we bring you the listeners um, our report of how various flute methods and apps and book articles affect our flute playing for the better or for the worse. Yeah, we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, on today's episode, Jen and I are diving in again for another fun adventure. And this week we are doing a book by the flutist Robert Dick. And um, he is team flutist. So anyone who's been listening for a while, he is F-L-U-T-I-S-T and not F-L-A-U-T-I-S-T. So he's team flutist. And we're doing, we worked through his book, Tone Development, through extended techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen, do you know anything about Robert Dick? Yes. Uh, what's he like? What's what's his story? Ooh, yes. Well, <laughs> as usual, I have surfed the great web of the world. Woo! I know. Um, and I've come across his uh, website, robertdick.net. And on it, he's been very kind enough to put his biography on it. So this is, uh, this is what he says. He's got a little quotation and he says, I knew the flute was for me from the first moments I played. Ooh. Did you feel that wow. when you first played the flute? I did not. No. I but I, I knew I loved music. Hmm. But it was kind of, you know, which instrument, which medium do I need to use <laughs> to mm. pr- pursue the music? And mm. flute just seemed to be the one I was um, pretty good at. How about yeah. you? Yeah, I can't say I really remember having... Like, oh, the flute, this is for me. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think I really felt that. I certainly enjoyed it enough to keep playing it for over 20 years. So mm-hmm. I guess that's something. That, <laughs> so, so. Yes. But as far as like a, a Harry Potter, the wand choosing the wizard <laughs> moment, uh, for me personally, was not so much. I wonder if it's both because we both started off as kind of singers, right? Because, I mean, yeah. I was in like choirs all the time growing mm. up and in mm. church. And I think you were as well, if I remember mm. correctly. Mm. And so maybe that's why we were like, oh, we're maybe. just extending what we already do. And yeah. this is another beautiful way to continue with it. Indeed. Right? Um, yes. Okay. So Robert Dick, he was born and raised in New York City. And he began playing the flute as a child because he heard it. Uh, well, actually, he says the piccolo on the radio in the top 40 hit Rockin' Robin. I have no idea what that is. Oh, have, yeah. Have you heard of that? Rockin' Robin. Rockin' Robin. If we made a lot of money on this podcast, I would say that we are now demonetized. But uh, please don't take us down. <laughs> My singing was not that good. <laughs> But yeah, I'll I'll put a link in our show notes for any, uh, maybe it's an American song, but I'll put it in the show notes in case anyone else wants to listen to it on YouTube. That's fantastic. (laughs) Anyway, so apparently his parents gave in to what he calls his incessant campaigning for a flute by surprising him with a flute and a flute teacher after school in fourth grade. Um, So basically from then he's never looked back. Uh, He thought he'd become an orchestral flautist and he worked very, very strongly towards that goal. 
which culminated at him playing in orchestra uh, at Tanglewood, which apparently is one of America's finest student orchestras. Mm, However, during that summer, he actually found out that he was not really suited to orchestral life. And so he decided he needed to develop himself as a soloist and a musical creator instead. He attended Yale College where... um, and where he met Robert Morris, who's a composer and theorist, who was to become one of the most important mentors he ever had. And uh, while he was at Yale as an undergraduate, he began his first book, The Other Flute, a performance manual of contemporary techniques as an undergraduate senior project. So oh, wow. <laughs> for all of those who don't know, uh, The Other Flute is pretty much um, one of the most comprehensive resources we have as Flautists um, on uh, all the contemporary uh, techniques of like alternate fingerings, mm-hmm. things like flutter tonguing, singing while playing the flute, circular breathing, all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> it's 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 a pretty it's it's one of it's a pretty important book, isn't it, Alex? <laughs> uh, yes, it's it's very important. In fact, it's the it's, uh, it is the prequel to what we're doing or the original to this Mm. what we're doing today Mm. the sequel like it was Mm. such a big work so that the book that we're doing today actually fits into that sequel because it's the sequel to the other flute so he did that as an undergraduate senior project um, and completed the book in his first year of graduate study uh, where actually he received a master's degree in composition Um, but the other flute did quite well it was then published by Oxford University Press in 1975 (laughs) and it was Close by then that he composed his groundbreaking Afterlight for Flute Alone, which is the first flute piece ever written to use multiphonics as the primary building blocks of its musical language. So after (laughs) leaving school, he embarked upon his career as a concert soloist because um, the other flute was more a resource Mm -hmm. for a composer. Um, (laughs) Robert decided that he wanted to write a book for flautists to learn how to do these extended techniques. So this is when he began the book which we're going to look at, which is Tone Development Through Extended Techniques. Basically, over the years, Robert has equaled his virtuosity on flute with his prowess on piccolo, alto flute, bass flute in C, bass flute in F, and contrabass flute. He plays all the flutes. And he's also invented something called the glissando head joint. They're so cool. I think we'll get you to give us a spiel on the glissando head joint. Very soon. Um, So basically, this is his philosophy. He believes in unlimited potential for growth, personal growth, artistic growth, and growth and change for the flute. And he intends to keep on learning and improving for all his life and does not feel there will ever be a moment to say, I've arrived, it's time to rest. And he's going to keep doing what he loves, creating and sharing through performance and teaching. And that's the end of the biography he has on his website, which I think is pretty awesome. Very well-rounded. I like that there's such a focus on, like, you know, him as a teacher and as a musician Mm. as well. It's not necessarily all of his accomplishments. It's more of who he is as a person. Yeah. I mean, like, the accomplishments being like, oh, yes, that he's written these books. But he's a very well, like, he's performed around the world as well. And he's done, he's won many accolades. Yes. But that's what he decided not to focus on. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So way to go. <laughs> it is pretty cool. And um, the book which we're looking at, as I mentioned, is called Tone Development Through Extended Techniques, a book in three parts, one could say. 
Um, so it's got kind of section one, which focuses on um, exercises that develop the the um, the most resonant uh, sound that you can create on the flute. So this involves exercises mm-hmm. on throat tuning, natural harmonics, bending of the notes, and whisper tones. Then the book has a section, um, the second section, which is extended timbres. So this is where he goes into all the different scales with different fingerings and alternate fingerings, which create different kind of sounds. So he's got stuff like the bamboo scale and the, <laughs> and the bright scales and the diffuse scales. Anyway, so pretty cool there. And then the third uh, section of the book, which is basically half of the book, um, yes, all on multiphonics. So this is the <laughs> idea of us playing uh, sounds on the flute which produce more than one um, note at a time. So normally we're thought of as an instrument which can only produce one tone at a time, but through technique of multiphonics, um, he's proven that we can actually play more than one tone at a time, which is pretty wild. So that's the, <laughs> the basic construct of the book. Um, so, Alex, how was your week one? And also, what's a glissando head joint? <laughs> okay, so for those non-flute players or maybe, uh, yeah, maybe some flute players as well. Um, uh, for the flute, um, we can play a lot of things on the flute. We can do scales just like any other instrument. And uh, we can do flutter tonguing and where we make the little sound on the flute while we're playing. And there's a lot of other really cool techniques that we can use to, you know, expand the flute range of uh, timbres and tonalities. But one thing we can do is be like a trombone or a string where they can do the sound. Mm. So like where you slide from one note up gradually to another one. We try really hard with mm. our fingers and you mm. can kind of make that same effect, but it does sound a little clunky. It doesn't have mm. that nice sliding effect. It sounds more like a like a, uh, a slinky falling down the stairs is, would be probably a better accurate representation of it. So what the glissando head joint does is it's uh, a head joint that can actually move similar to a trombone. Um, so what you do is it's a, it looks like a regular head joint and it's got these two little wings sort of um, that stick to your face a little bit. And so your mouth, you can move your head back and forth to act as like the trombone slide. And then you can kind of create the same effect on the awesome. notes that you couldn't before. So it is a very cool head joint. Uh, there's a uh, flutist on Instagram who does a lot with that, Melissa Keeling and a few others as well, um, as, as well as Robert Dick and other, um, uh, other of his contemporaries. But yes, so it is, it is really cool. It sounds awesome. Uh, I really want one. They are expensive. And <laughs> my list of flute things is quite long. <laughs> But yeah, so that's what a glissando head joint is. It's something that makes that same gliss sound that you mm. hear with strings, trombones. Yeah, yeah so glissando head joint. My glissando week one. So uh, for my week one, I focused, I decided um, I wanted to kind of get down to the fundamentals. So for week mm. one, I spent a lot of time on just his first chapter. So just the like the preliminary studies, because I figured that would help me get a nice foundation for mm-hmm. the for going forward 
Funny enough, okay, so I did do a little bit of internet research, but not until later on in the week. Usually I started with that, and I didn't this time. Mm. I think just because our house has been in a little disarray, like between all the moving, putting everything yeah. where it's yeah. supposed to be. And then I was like, oh, I should watch a video about this. And then I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> the internet's a thing. Really liked, so he starts off with these throat tuning exercises, which I just thought were so cool because it's just like vocalese exercises and helps you create like this really strong air column for your sound, like really mm. supportive and everything. Mm. And I just love that it was just a natural, you know, supplement for if you're doing extended techniques or you have a, you're preparing a concert where you have to do that. This would be a great way to like help warm that up. You know, mm. it's like a way that you're warming up just like you would for any part of the flute, but also how you can do it with like a slight lean towards extended techniques, which yeah. I thought was awesome. Uh, <laughs> Um, also, um, I love how the, <laughs> the second exercise he has, like it starts off pretty basic first, um, but the second one he does arpeggio based exercise and it just casually goes up to high C or C4 yeah. if you're, um, because uh, <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, looking through it, just like kind of get an idea of what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. There's a high C. So, um, I think in the introduction, he says like, if you can play Paul Hindemith's Sonata, yes. then you can play this book. I love that um, one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can confirm that is true. <laughs> so, um, yes, definitely be able to play up to high C comfortably, but I love that he also includes that just like, you know, oh yeah, this should be in your standard repertoire anyways. Yeah. Let's do this. But you don't see it that often, even in books for advanced players. So no. I was very excited to see that. Yeah. Um, uh, so I started off with those, had a lot of fun with that. That was nothing too crazy besides the high C. Um, and then I went on to oh, harmonics. And I wanted to ask you, Jen, because I think this is mm. one of the first times we've seen harmonics in a book. Mm. Yeah, like usually Bernold. Yeah. Bernold, yeah, Bernold did some. But I wanted to ask you, like, do you think, like, is it like an American thing? Because I feel like in America, we focus more on harmonics. And when I studied in Australia, like, there wasn't as strong of a focus. Like, in America, it was more like, well, at least with my teachers, which I know it's all a bit international and a bit of a mishmash. But, mm. you know, it was like, oh, yeah, you do, like, some vocalese, like, warm up the sound. And then, but also to warm up the sound and to hear the right pitch in your head and to check, the, like, the scale of your flute, you always do harmonics as well. So I was mm. wondering, did was there a focus on that when you were learning? Actually, um, if, I'm, I'm thinking back and, no, I don't think... I don't think there ever has been. I think um, the first time I really saw harmonics was actually in Trevor Wise, the beginning of Trevor Wise's tone book, where he's got a harmonic exercise at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But then it's kind of only really presented as do these harmonics at the beginning to kind of test out um, your embouchure and um, it's kind of a Mm -hmm. good kind of beginning point. But then eventually you kind of just jump, you, you kind of dispense <laughs> with it after a while and you go into tone work all the time. It's not something which is, I think, ever overtly said as mm-hmm. this This is kind of a really essential part of your practice, which it's really helpful to do every day. And I don't know, I think it must just depend on like uh, your teachers and which teachers you get exposed to. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyways, that was just an yeah. observation of mine because then in this book, he goes oh. nuts. It's like harmonic central. Like if you ever needed harmonic exercise, he's got you covered. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. There's oh, so many good ones. But then also they just looking at some of them, like, because you have like exercises one through three, and just like any good book, you know, they, with each exercise, they go up in, um, uh, technical ability because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, basically he starts off with you know some scale options he has these great descriptions at the beginning of how to make sure to do these correctly as well the way yep. that you because yeah. there are there are two ways to get um, harmonics you can either you know move your lips a little bit or mm-hmm. you can like move your head or you can change your airflow and there's like a lot of different varying opinions on which way to do it best i don't want to start a fight in the comment section so i'll leave it there um but uh (laughs) but yeah when you get to like exercise five Mm -hmm. it's basically de la sonority but with harmonics and they are the jumps are so large which was great I just, whoa, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it gets yeah. tricky. So yeah. I, I I had a lot of fun with that near the end of week one. I, I definitely tended more towards the first couple because they're a little easier, but I always <laughs> made sure to check in some of the harder ones too. Um, and then uh, the, I decided to keep the fourth octave pitches in bulk for mm-hmm. week two and work on that because he gets up nice and high. <laughs> so which is Enjoy great that. but also i'm still trying to be friendly with my neighbors but yeah um so i saved those for week two and then i did some of the bending which ugh, is always a lot of fun it always reminds yes. me of that um there's that work that's named after three japanese pieces like toyan and oh, oh, I forget the composer the uh, yes yeah the ferud jacques yeah. ferud yeah, because yeah, he does pulled. some bending in that. Yes, and it does. So I, I pulled that out while I was practicing the bending as some of my additional um, music because, you know, yeah. in the intro he says that, oh, this is just a book, you know, like one part of you, like what should be your like four-step practice regime. So mm-hmm. I made sure to like supplement with like, you know, some etudes and some of the bending and, or the and, uh, like a piece and scales mm-hmm. as well, but... But yeah, I did some bending and then I did whisper tones, which I have to say, I am not, I have never really focused on whistle tones a lot. I know the technique, I can do it, mm. but it's mm. never been like a staple mm. in my regime before. Um, and he had like a really nice explainer in his book about how it helps, you know, create a really nice soft sonority. Mm. And that's something I've always struggled with. So I was like, hey, you know what? I should probably be doing more of this. Like it's something that yeah. does not happen naturally for me so yeah i had some fun with his uh whistle tones and i had i did notice when i was doing um my l'après midi uh by debussy it was it was sounding a lot like a lot stronger but not too strong like it was like the ability to play soft and not increase yeah it was great i was able to really control it a lot better after a week of doing whistle tones so yeah I was I was really having fun here, so yeah, and that's how I ended my week one uh, with Aww. little whistle tones, just whistling around the house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's not what whistle tones are. Um, it's uh, for fl- non-flutists. It's not where you whistle into the flute. It's where you play such a small amount air and then a focused embouchure mm. that you can create the sound that sounds like a little whistle. 
Mm-hmm. It, it sounds very mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was your week one, Jen? How did your extended techniques go in your tone development? Yes. Did your tone develop? Did your tone develop? <laughs> oh man, did it ever! So, um, <laughs> great minds think alike. We we definitely tackled this the <laughs> same way. I I read through his introduction, and in it, he suggests that um, that he's aiming for us to play the multiphonics. That's the end game. It would appear. Yeah, that's the the end yeah. goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Uh, to do this, then, he suggests that first you work on the first chapter to create optimum resonance. So I decided, right, well, week one, I should probably do the um, optimal resonance exercises. So, yes, I went through the same ones that you were talking <gasps> oh, about. Cool. Yeah. Um, so it was, I, I mean, like I've done all of these kind of techniques before, but I think the difference between this and what I've done before is just the extent of how far he goes. It's like he takes everything too far. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like those, you know, those friends who like pranking each other, but there's always one who just goes too far. Yeah, oh, yeah. I feel I feel like he does that, except in extended techniques with the flute, and you're sitting there going, Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> um, so I, I really like, I've done a lot of singing and playing the flute before in pieces, but I really liked this idea when he was saying, um, this, this is just how you can warm up. And also you can apply this to pieces to help create the optimal resonant, um, help the notes really sing and also change the vowels to help you get up into the higher registers which I found really, really intriguing. So he suggests, um, so with the lower lower tones, like the middle registers, you can be using like the vowel R, a more round kind of sound. Your, your mouth kind of opens into a more open cavity because what he's always talking about in this, which was really interesting, was that the, the flute um, isn't just the only part of the instrument. In fact, we're also a massive part of the instrument. We are. And that's yeah. why the same person can play heaps and heaps of different flutes and yet a similar sound will come out. And a different person can play my flute and it will sound completely different to, say, when I play it. Anyway, so I got distracted. What was the saying? Oh, yeah, so the middle oh, no. register, he goes <laughs> to like an R mm-hmm. sound. But then if you're going up into the higher, like the third o- octave or even the fourth mm-hmm. octave like you try and put more of the sound through the nasal cavities which means the e the i and the e mm-hmm. sounds which gives it that more bright sound so he suggests making that kind of shape inside your mouth imagining you're singing that vowel e um, when you're going up to those high notes and i tried it and it really works it just kind of <laughs> helps them ping out especially that really annoying f sharp all those who know can feel my pain of the F sharp, that scary note where one never knows if it's going to come out or you're going to hit that awkward, <laughs> that awkward, <laughs> horrible note in the middle. I don't know when you undershoot it. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> the nemesis is the old F sharp. Mm. And the other one, which um, I really enjoy, well, harmonics, I'm just going to gloss over because dear goodness, they were, yes, they, they were, were epic. They were a marathon They were everything you... <laughs> It's mm. all you ever need. If you need, if you, if you're like, hmm, I love harmonics. I want more. Here you go. Mm-hmm. He is, he has prepared mm-hmm. everything for you. Mm-hmm. Building blocks. You, you got this. Yeah. 
I he also suggests applying uh, the harmonics to your repertoire. So instead of playing the notes as written with regular fingering, you would play the harmonic fingering because if you don't have your embouchure set exactly right, um, the harmonic, the correct pitch of the harmonic won't come out. So um, it really kind of shows if maybe your embouchure <laughs> isn't quite in the right spot for creating a beautiful sound in um, in a piece of music. So I, I put that into a few pieces that I was practicing for at the time. And it, it was really amazing how much of a difference um, just those two techniques, singing while I was playing mm-hmm. a piece and then switching out notes for harmonics into a piece helped the tone stay more consistent and free which was really really exciting for the amount of work which you had to do or practice you had to do for the change (laughs) which you got I do love a good bang for my buck let's put it that way so um, I thought I was like yeah he's onto something this is this is pretty cool I think one of my favorite places that I've implemented like changing out a note with a harmonic to check my pitch is in the Mozart concerto in oh. G oh, on that yeah. first initial D3. Oh, for me, it's always sharp. Really? <laughs> or at least oh. for the higher one. Yeah. yeah. And so I always use the G there when I'm practicing oh. just to see if I'm overshooting it or not. Because, you know, it's yeah. supposed to be this like, and, yeah. you know, we always want to like sing it. But then the problem with singing without any control is that it goes for me at least incredibly sharp and so that's why I always add in the harmonic just to be like okay singing but also (laughs) not sharp because that's not pretty (laughs) but like the um the harmonics yeah and the singing really really helped which I thought was amazing and then finally in week one the massive shock was um all of his exercises for the fourth octave Oh, so you're brave. <laughs> you did them? I was like, no, week Look, two. <laughs> Alex, when I say, okay, so um, so I decided to go for the E. Anyway, to the horror of my neighbours, <laughs> I've been trying to practice high fourth octave E's uh, for the first, for these two weeks. It's still a very much a gamble of hit and miss of success rates of getting the E to come out. However, he does point out that if you tackle the fourth octave, all of a sudden, uh, all of the third octave notes plus Not those couple of the fourth that like up to the D, all of a sudden, they just don't seem that hard anymore. <laughs> he has a very good point. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're prepping to run a marathon, sometimes you run just a little extra or something, I think. Exactly. <laughs> well, that yes. sounds like a good week one. It was good. It was... um. Very interesting. But Alex, how was, uh, so what did you, do? I'm intrigued about your week too. I'm wondering if you did the same thing as me. Uh, it, 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 it could be. I love that even though we are continents apart, we still managed to do similar things. It's I like, know. Oh, yay. <laughs> um, okay. So for week two, I continued with the chapter one fundamentals. I would do a few of them every day, mm-hmm. um, you know, from like one from each section. Mm-hmm. And then depending on how lazy I was, either easy or hard, but usually a mix. Mm-hmm. I also started on them, them lovely fourth octave. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And I love that he has them also marked, you know, like very flat, flat, in tune, sharp <laughs> for, the, for a few of them. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think I got, I got, I got the E one time with like a little bit of solidness and the rest of the time it was just oh, um, well come done. and go. I mean, of yeah. course you, we can always like probably get them with like, yeah, like, like you said, like over blasting. Cause like it does work like that too. 
<laughs> but then like to make Brute it force. sound like a, an actual like you know like what we're aiming for, like making it sound like nice sound or something yeah i'm still very much in the progress stage of that part so <laughs> but luckily i don't have any concerts with fourth octave pieces coming up in the uh, foreseeable future thank yeah. you covid so uh, so it should uh, be okay hmm. but yes i did finally get touched i did finally touch on those um, and I tried to do some of the seventh court, the little seventh court exercise that he has in the back of the book too, where oh, he wow. touches on all the, yeah, yeah. that was fun. Um, cause I was like, oh yeah, it's pretty and you build up to it. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, so I did a bit of that too. Um, I also started working on the different extended timbres in the four different sections that he mentions. Oh yeah. And I just, I thought that was really, I don't know if he mentions this in the other flute cause I've never worked through the other flute all the way through. Yeah. But I really liked how he broke it up into, um, for these tones that he has, so the extended timbres, it's basically just how he played other notes to give them a very different sound. Yeah. But yeah, so that was really cool. I, I worked on those a little bit. I really like how he even includes... <laughs> <laughs> um, how the embouchure should be. Should it be going straight across? Should it be tilted up or should it be yeah. tilted down with symbols? Because yeah. um, in the flute world, this is often, you know, like, oh, what do I do with my, like, some people are like, don't move it at all. It should just be stale. But he's like, this is what you have to do. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no debate. It's like, this is what I recommend yeah. being an expert in this field. I had fun moving my, my embouchure around to get the different sounds. Um, so that was fun. And I, I picked a piece to work on while I was doing this that I already owned. And that was um, uh, for the Multiphonics. And oh. that was the Ian Clark's Great Train Race. Because mm. he does a bit of singing in there. Mm-hmm. He does a bit of um, harmonics as well. And he also does lots of multiphonics. So that yeah. one, that art where you play two notes at the same time. And I have to say, after working through a bunch of these little exercises of his... Um, like especially exercise C for the multiphonics yeah, and um, exercise F, like it was the multiphonics were coming out way faster without me having to think about, you know, like, okay, this is this one. So to make sure that both notes sound, I need to do this. Like yeah. the exercises really helped me prepare for that. And mm. it was a lot easier to punch out the nice little like choo-choo moment of that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will put a, I'll put a, a recording of that as well in our show yeah. notes so you can have a listen to it. But yeah, so I, I ended my week with week two with the, the great train race. Um, a little bit of touching on all the other areas as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just having a lot of fun with the um, with the last part of the book and making me really want to go and look into the other flute too. The, yeah. that, that's his other book. So not the, just like another flute, but his yeah. book, The Other Flute. So because there's just so much material in here. I did not get through all the exercises, but I did try to touch on as many as possible. Yeah, but anyways, but yeah, that was my week too. Cool. Jen, how was your week too? Again, so, <laughs> how, was it similar to mine? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, again, I mean, like, I guess he makes it, um, he's actually set out the book quite clearly in that at the introduction, he says, look, you can work through it chronologically. Um, he does. Each, each, like, from chapter one through to, to the end of chapter three, or you can work on each of the chapters simultaneously. Um, so week two, I decided I was going to work through the chapter simultaneously, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. So week two, week two, I, I focused more, um, in, from the chapter one, I was focusing more on the whistle tones, uh, that you mentioned in your week one, 
my aim was for my whistle tones was to, as he says in his instructions, to keep the tone steady throughout the whole thing. Yes. Like the whistle tones are so delicate. Um, I guess you could think about them like like a single thread of silk or something, where if it if it if you're not super careful with it, it'll just break mm-hmm. and snap or waver onto the next note. Um, so it'll go up high or down low because you can get multiple whistle tones on one note. Mm. Um, so the aim is you want to you want to keep the same pitch steadily the whole way, and then you know that your breath support is correct and your embouchure is really still. Um, and, uh, so that was my aim to try and see how many seconds I could hold a whistle tone without wavering up or down. Um, mm. and I discovered, um, really interesting things about my breath support. So like I discovered that where I was most stable was in the middle of my breath. Um, that was clearly where I was most comfortable. But as soon as I went to any extremes of my breath, so like when I've just taken a really big breath to say mm-hmm. playing a really long phrase like le premier where we have to hold our breath for like what like 24 seconds or something oh yeah um, mm-hmm. or longer i don't know it depends how slow or fast the conductor goes <laughs> yeah, exactly um, i discovered mm-hmm. that like if i take a really big breath my breath control isn't as controlled i found it really hard to control the whistle tone um so I found that really, and then of course at the end of the breath, when you're really running out of gas, then it starts all going a little bit, um, yeah, to seed. You can't really mm-hmm. hide anything with the whistle tones, um, and also yeah, it quite, captures everything. Yeah, it captures everything, mm-hmm. and really see you can see where your control um, is mm-hmm. is slipping a little bit. So I really like that, and I also found out that whistle tones help the fourth octave. Because um, you can only get the whistle tone if your embouchure is placed correctly to produce the sound. So before lambasting my poor neighbours with horrifying fourth octave notes, I would first set my whistle tone. And if I hit the whistle tone at the correct pitch, I was like, right, this must be it. (laughs) So take a massive breath and whoa. Um, So I found my success rate climbed. Slightly, <gasps> my maybe let's say ten percent. <laughs> hey, I, that is I'm still enough progress. Feel, yes, enough to feel con- yeah. uh, encouraged about it. So I think we'll. Oh, congratulations! We'll, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, another ninety to go. Um, so that was really that was really encouraging. And yeah, like you said, I noticed in like quiet passages uh, of of repertoire, I was learning all of a sudden my diminuendos, especially. I was being able, mm-hmm. like, I had way more control over them, which was really exciting. And so, you know, I could just, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, you could tail off into your nientes. Oh, yes. And then, yeah, like you, multiphonics. They were really fun. Also really I hard. I love multiphonics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, I did go beyond exercise one, which. <laughs> Wicked. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Because um, I was just, I really wanted to experiment with um, yeah. how how present I could get each of the two tones because I found like often one would be a bit more dominant than the other but I really wanted mm-hmm. both to be almost equal so I was having a lot of fun with experimenting about like how I thought about the air going across the the flute but it was really fun yeah like they were terrible at the beginning of the week but by the end of the week it was it was starting to become like you said it was starting to come out more confidently and mm, and I think yeah. more things were becoming internalized where I kind of, my body was starting to learn what it needed to do for something to, for the <laughs> multiphonics to come out. So, yeah, yeah, this is really, yeah, 
It was a really fun couple of weeks. So verdict, uh, is this book going to stay on the stand? What do you like? What do you not like? Who do you recommend it to? Give Mm. us the deep. I highly recommend this book. I think for anyone who's interested in contemporary music or just wanting to kind of push themselves on flute playing and discover a new kind of whole sound world um, of Mm -hmm. the flute, this book is for you. I agree with him on the like level of playing you have to be at yeah. before you tackle it. But I think this isn't just extended techniques for the sake of doing extended techniques. I think through this experimenting and exploration of all these different ways um, of playing, I think it does really improve um, mm-hmm. your sound just with um, the the traditional sound of the flute but that was a yes it is on my stand forever and ever (laughs) and ever and I think sorry Tom you're going to be listening to some more very weird (laughs) sounds for quite a while I apologize in advance I'll buy you some uh, sound cancelling headphones for Christmas how about that (laughs) you heard it here (laughs) yes he can Um, quote this back to us exactly (laughs) he's got it he's got it recorded on the internet it must be true um, <laughs> what's your verdict, Alex? Uh, my verdict. Well, yes, I also was a huge fan of this book. It was just like, it's, it's that missing piece for me of, you know, when you start to first learn modern techniques and they're like, oh, well, okay, do what you normally do, but now make it harmonics. And I think for some students that can be kind of confusing because it's mm. like, oh, okay. mm. and, and what he does is he just breaks it down nice and mm-hmm. like, you know, okay, this is what you do. And he actually gives you the music with the notation on there too. So it kind of mm-hmm. takes away that one step that you have to do in your brain. So it kind of mm-hmm. automates it. So you can focus more on like the sound quality itself and creating this nice timbre mm. and everything. And so... Mm. I think it's a perfect book for warm-ups when you're working on contemporary pieces. I would even go as far to say uh, it is the De La Sonorite for extended techniques. Ooh, you heard la it, people. La. Come for me. Come, Come for me for, if you don't agree. Wow, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I really, really enjoyed it. And the, my only critique of the book, yep. and I do recognize that this was published in, what, 1985, so... Definitely wasn't possible at the time, but I would have loved if he also did something similar to what Greg Patillo was doing, where he oh. does like some videos mm-hmm. just to show the things that he's describing in the book, because mm-hmm. he does, he gives these very descriptive paragraphs of what to mm-hmm. do. But for me, at least visually, it's always easier for me to see someone do it and then be like, okay, that's what he means. Because with words, you know, they can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Luckily, this is like his his book and it's written in English, which is which is his first language. But for some other people, it might be a little tricky if English is not their first language to know exactly what they need to be doing with their body to create these sounds. Yeah, so that's, that's where I love videos. If he wanted to do a revamped version with uh, videos to show all of these different things, I would be down. I think, you know. It or would if be... he's done these videos and there's someone yes. and someone knows of them, let yes. us know. Please that do. Awesome. I'll, I'll link them in our show notes for other listeners. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, but overall, I think, especially when my students come to me now with requests to learn some extended techniques, this will be like, okay, let's look at this book too, get you yeah. get a nice little warm up going. Yeah. And, but I, I do agree with you that it does, it is a coming to someone who is a little more intermediate advanced student who does know their way around the flute and yeah. 
Yeah. And it's okay playing up in that fourth octave range too. So, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, luckily Marco wasn't around too much when I had to do those. So I think his ears are spared. He was upstairs a little more often than not, but uh, he hasn't complained just yet, but uh, who knows? Um, but yes, I think, I think these are definitely staying on my stand and it's definitely coming out anytime I do anything modern because mm. like, yeah, just a mm. great resource. It's just... Super. I would highly recommend it to anyone who takes the flute seriously. Mm. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. my verdict. Whoa, I think that's our show. Night. We're coming up to the end of the year. We hope your year is also going okay and that you are staying safe. Um, if you would like to check out any of the things we discussed, look at our show notes. I will put links to everything that I mentioned that I would put links to. And if I don't, come for me and I will do it. And I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you like this episode and want to listen to it on a different like podcast platform, you can find us on all of them. And if you Ooh. find one where we are not on that platform, let us know and we will fix it. Uh, if you want to let us know what you think about this book and or other books, uh, you can write to us at thepracticeodyssey at gmail.com. Um, and if you're feeling extra lovey-dovey, you can also leave us a rating or a comment on Apple Podcasts that <laughs> helps other people find our podcast and also learn some cool stuff about the flute. Uh, if you are more of a YouTuber, you can also listen to us on YouTube. Just search for the Practice Odyssey podcast in the search bar, and we will come up. You can subscribe, leave us a comment. Uh, and the music in this episode was written by yours truly, Alessandra Woods. Mm-hmm. And our show art was from the ever-lovely Ivan Potter Smith. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we hope you have a lovely week. We wish you all the best for this upcoming seasonal time. And we'll see you in a fortnight. Bye!